This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Episode 15, Tracing COVID-19 Victims to Break the Transmission Chain. This week here in San Francisco, it's been our fifth week in lockdown, social distancing, isolation, and both our governor and the president this week outlined the first tentative steps of getting back to normal, which may begin in the middle to late part of the month of May. It was good to hear that. And they outlined a roadmap of some of the steps which will be taken, some of the programs which will be implemented as part of that return to normal. We have to admit, certainly here in California, and we're also seeing it in New York, we're seeing that social distancing has flattened the curve of new COVID-19 cases. And also, as we've seen the death rate drop, particularly in New York, uh, it's been uh, very heartening to see how successful social distancing policies have been. Of course, once we begin the process of getting back to normal, we want to ensure that Uh, the COVID-19 cases continue on the downtrend, continue to diminish and uh, grow smaller. Part of the getting back to normal will will require a very significant testing program. It will be a national testing program where millions of fellow Americans will be tested for COVID-19. There are two kinds of tests that we've discussed in earlier podcasts. One is the uh, very simple pinprick blood test. Gives you results in five minutes to tell you whether or not you have antibodies. Doesn't tell you if you, if you currently have the disease or not. Simply tells you you have been exposed to it or not. If you've been exposed, you have antibodies. If you haven't been exposed, you don't have antibodies. But... The invasive nasal probe test uh, is still the holy grail of test to determine whether or not you have full-fledged C19 and in in the throes of COVID-19 today. So going forward, as part of getting back to normal, there will be a massive undertaking of testing throughout the country. And let's take, uh, we, we haven't had massive testing in the United States up to this point. Here in California, out of a population of 40 million people, only 215,000 fellow Californians have been tested. Um, Tiny, it's not even even 1% of our population has been tested. That, of course, will change as we get back to normal. Let's make a couple of assumptions. Let's take a couple of numbers because the purpose of today's podcast is to focus on tracing victims of COVID-19. Let's assume in the, uh, the, let's assume that we are able to do 750,000 tests per week, 750,000. And let us also assume that of that 750,000 weekly test, 75,000 of those tests prove positive. Of the 75,000 that have proven positive, each one of those positive COVID-19 
victims will, of course, go into isolation. They will receive medication. Um, a small proportion of them will eventually go into hospital. An even smaller proportion of them will have to go into the ICU, perhaps be on ventilators, and unfortunately, a tiny fraction will die. However, of the 75,000 who test positive, each one of those 75,000 will be asked to identify who their contacts have been in the last couple of days before their diagnosis. You can imagine the kind of numbers that we're talking about here. The numbers are, of course, exponential. Let me give you one example to show you how daunting and complex this tracing project is going to be. But it's very effective and it's very necessary. Let's take one example. We have a hairdresser. Um, the hairdresser has been diagnosed with COVID-19. She was symptomatic for two days, went to the hairdresser salon, took care of 10 clients over a two-day period while she was symptomatic with her cough and stuffed up nose, etc. After two days of dealing with her clients, 10 clients, she went to the doctor. The doctor told her to isolate and gave her medication. A tracer will be assigned to that hairdresser and the hairdresser will have to tell the tracer every single contact, first of all, the name of the 10 clients of her 10 hairdressing clients, number one. Number two, the names and telephone numbers of all of her colleagues at the hairdressing salon. Number three, the name and telephone number of her spouse and her children and anyone else who lives in her home. So right from the very beginning with that one hairdresser, she has touched upwards of 24 to 30 people that she has been in very close contact with during the period that she was most contagious. Each one of those 30 contacts will be contacted by a tracer, and that tracer, in turn, will have to follow up with those individuals a couple of times a day. Now, there is a consensus among health experts that the U.S. needs to build the following capabilities to transition from the current phase of social distancing and sheltering in place to a normal life. And those four areas that we need to focus on, number one, we need increased testing. I've just given you an example of the, the testing and the tracing that's going to come as a result of that testing. Number two, we still need more ICU beds. Number three, we need increased supplies such as masks, personal protective equipment, ventilators, etc. But number four, and this has not been discussed up to this point, or certainly hasn't been discussed in much detail, we need to have a, an army of tracers. We need to have tracing policy in place so that once we identify a COVID-19 victim, we can trace all of their contacts. The contact tracing is used to identify and to break the transmission chains. And if we don't identify and break the transmission chains, 
we're going to have another major flare-up of COVID-19 and all the good work that has been accomplished in flattening the curve with this latest bout of social distancing will be for naught if we don't have the contact tracing and make sure that and break the transmission chain. Effective contact tracing has been a successful component in treating infectious diseases for hundreds of years. And in particular, contact tracing was used to great effect successfully in Germany, South Korea, China, and Singapore during the most recent COVID-19 outbreak. However, over the last 30 to 40 years, U.S. public health departments at the city level throughout the United States have been hollowed out. So at this point, very few cities have the large, robust public health departments that were the case in the early 20th century. We no longer have them. To give you some idea of the scramble that is going on as we speak, the Center for Disease Control today, Friday, April 17th, announced that they are trying to hire 25,000 census poll workers. In other words, individuals who've already been hired to do the census, CDC wants to transfer them over to CDC to train them as tracers. That's the situation that we're in. But most importantly, we see, we recognize what the problem is. We have a plan in place. We have three to four weeks to get our army of tracers up and running. To give you some idea uh, in China, and again, um, these statistics from China are suspect, um, unfortunately, but we have been led to believe that in Wuhan, uh, a city of 7 million people, and that of course is where the coronavirus originated, um, they used the tracing teams to uh, very good effect. And in the case of Wuhan, with a population of 7 million people, there were 1,800 tracing teams of five, 000, of five people each. So the city of Wuhan hired 9,000 tracers, and each of those tracers contacted tens of thousands of both COVID-19 victims and individuals who had been in contact with a COVID-19 victim. In addition to that human contact and the human tracers, technology was used to great effect in China, uh, specifically mobile phones and apps. The mobile phone and the app, of course, uh, was a faster, less personal, but a faster way to contact potential victims of the uh, COVID-19 virus. Now, the use of technology is somewhat controversial. Um, our preference, of course, would be to have human caseworkers calling you, telling you that you had been in contact with a COVID-19 victim, also telling you what your options were, where the public health department was, what you should do, go home, be in uh, isolation for 14 days, that would be the ideal. We're probably, we will have, our solution will probably be a mix of both the human touch and the technology touch. 
to give you an example of uh, the state of Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts has come up with a very ambitious plan. They've budgeted $44 million to provide 1,000 COVID-19 tracers for the 6.9 million people who live in the state of Massachusetts. The governor of Massachusetts was persuaded to do this by Jim Young Kim, the former head of the World Bank. It's a very exciting program. It is underway and um, it, it, is, it is one which we hope is going to be very successful. Now, in a smaller state, um, Nebraska or Utah, some of those states have been using the COVID-19 tracing and using individuals, human beings, to make those traces. Unfortunately, in New York, New York, to the best of my knowledge, has not used contact tracing to any great effect. They certainly haven't used it to great effect up to this point, although to give credit where credit's due, part of the flattening of the curve in New York that we've seen has come about as a result of social distancing. But once we begin on the track back to normalcy, social distancing will probably still be practiced, but it's going to be a little bit leaky. So even New York is going to have to work on its contact tracing. Hasn't done a terribly good job up to this point as far as we know. To come back to the technology, um, three apps that I want to bring to your attention. Both Apple and Google have come up with, uh, with an app, and the app will be on your iPhone or on your Android, and the app will give push messages to contacts who have been in contact with the hairdresser. All of her contacts will be loaded onto an app and anonymous messages will be sent to everyone that she was in contact with in the days leading up to her diagnosis. Every one of those contacts will receive an anonymous message saying that they may have been in contact with a COVID-19 victim. Uh, not the most warm and fuzzy way to find out that you may have been exposed to the coronavirus, but that is the world that we live in. Germany and South Korea used the contact tracing very early on when there were very few cases in either country. In both countries, in part because of their very effective use of contact tracing at the very beginning, they kept their numbers very low. Here in the United States, we're using contact tracing at the tail end, so we need to have an a huge army of contact tracers to get the same beneficial effect of contact tracing that Germany and South Korea got, but they started much earlier than we did. The other app which Australia is looking to adopt is the Singapore app. This is an app that was used very effectively in Singapore. It is called Singapore Trace Together. And Australia is modifying that successful Singapore tracing app for, the, for use in Australia. Now, Australia, like the United States, is a country which is based on the common law with a very strong tradition 
of uh, personal privacy and laws of personal privacy and personal liberty. One of the obvious concerns that we have with the use of technology, whether it's Apple or uh, Google, it, with their app, will be the privacy of this information. Will all of those contacts that the hairdresser, for instance, had, will all of those contacts then their names, their telephone numbers, their addresses, their health status, will that all be loaded up to the Google or the Apple cloud? Will that information be secure? Will that information be shared with people that it shouldn't be shared with? Is that information going to be hackable? I raise these issues because you should be, you should be, all of us should be aware of these privacy issues with regard to tracing apps and using technology to inform people of exposure to a potentially life-threatening virus. We, that is, but unfortunately, that is probably what we are, are faced with at this point. I don't mean to sound the alarm on this score, but we are faced with a very serious health crisis. And as we weigh on the one hand, this life-threatening virus that we are faced with and our need for privacy and protection of personal liberties, obviously the scale of public health is going to outweigh personal privacy. But I want all of my listeners to be aware of the concerns that come as a result of using technology in par as part of our drive to trace contacts of COVID-19 victims. My sources for today's podcast have been The Guardian, The Kaiser Family Foundation, National Public Radio, The New York Times, and TechCrunch. This is Jim Herlihy signing off for the San Francisco Experience from America's favorite city, San Francisco.